हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशन विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब रिकॉर्डिंग नाउ एंड सो टुडे आई हैव विद मी जोएना डिसूजा Twice Dora nominated Joanna D'Souza received a master's degree in Kathak dance through Prayag Sangeet Samiti, Allahabad, India. Her study, premised in deep respect for the tradition, began in 1978 under her guru, the late Pandit Tejasri. Joanna is celebrated internationally as a dancer, choreographer, and is a much sought-after teacher. Named one of the leading Indian classical dancers in Canada by India Today magazine, she has represented Canada at festivals in Lahore. Pakistan and Holguin Cuba in 2006 she toured Australia with Jeff Martin Tea Party and the Toronto Tabla Ensemble Joanna co-founded Emdo Kathak Toronto which since 1988 has been home to dance classes master classes and workshops at the highest artistic level a dance company Chandam has toured internationally and internationally with their innovative approach to Kathak In 2018, Chandan Chandam, in collaboration with choreographer dancer Misty Wenzel, performed a five-city India tour of their contemporary work Bardo. Joanna was a musician and dancer with the acclaimed Toronto Tabla Ensemble from 1993 to 2010. She maintains a regular Toronto-based teaching schedule and teaches across Canada, India, and the U.S. In 2015, she was the recipient of Angikam Doc Angikam's Dr. Maya Rao Award. in recognition of her career long body of innovative kathak choreography joanna di how are you i'm well how are you pramit i'm doing well and at this mention at this point i'd like to thank saradi and rashnadi for recommending i reach out to you and with that i want to get started joanna di and just uh, i guess off the bat how did you get into kathak and how did kathak find you <laughs> well Kathak actually did find me. I uh, went to visit friends in California in 1978 for what I thought would be a five-day visit, and on the weekend while I was there, uh, we went to Fisherman's Wharf, very popular tourist spot, and there was an outdoor performance of two Kathak dancers, uh, live tabla and live sarod. I had no idea what I was watching. I'd never seen. Indian dance before, um, and I'd never seen the instruments live before. I'd never, or even heard them actually at that point. So um, I was mesmerized by what I saw. I was a musician. I came to Kapak as a um, figure skater and a musician. I studied classical piano, uh, figure skating, and uh, also played flute and guitar. But I never um, had studied dance as a child. <clears throat> and i i wanted to <clears throat> excuse me i wanted to uh get into some dance so in any case i watched two or three of their sets and then i spoke to the people after i was just absolutely mesmerized and they uh i went and spoke to them after their sets and they told me that there were classes going on across the golden gate bridge in marin county the next morning so i went against the working traffic everybody was coming into the city to go to work i was taking <clears throat> the bus the opposite direction and went to watch what i thought would be watching a kathak class and uh 
to get into the <clears throat> without getting into too much detail um i walked into the room and uh dadaji guruji was not in the room at the time mm -hmm. this people were all dancing there were like 18 or 19 people going full bore Tathkar, like full bore, I sat down on the little dais stage area and was watching them. And then somehow or other, as we all understand now with the way the Kathak cycles work, but it was, they were dancing, 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 and then boom, they all ended on the floor at the same time. And I was completely bowled over and I thought, I need to know how they knew how to do that. It was just incredible. And then they got up and continued dancing. Then, you know, the door opened, everybody stopped and in walked this very tiny man with this enormous energy that basically threw me against the back wall. And he walked right up to me very close and he said, who are you? I said, I'm Joanna. And he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I saw Marnie and Elizabeth, two people that were dancing. I said, I saw them dancing yesterday at Fisherman's Wharf and they told me where the class is. And I came to watch, may I watch? And he said, uh, no, no, go in the back and try it. So I went way in the back of the room. <laughs> and you can imagine, Pramit, these people had been going for a number of years, but um, I went way in the back. He was playing the tabla and singing, and he was getting us all to sing, and I was dancing into people, and, you know, but honestly, it was the happiest I had been in years. And, uh, Although none of it made sense to me, it all made sense to me in some odd way. So at the end of the class, he traditionally has a sit, had a sit in a big circle and we'd keep tall and recite. That was how the classes ended all the time. So that was what, what I was partaking in. And then at the end, he called me up and he said, um, I think you need a beginning class. I was like, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I need a beginning class. So he told me where they were in San Francisco which is where I was staying. And they were actually that evening, Monday night he taught in the city. So I went to go and observe and dance that class. <clears throat> and um, on the front porch, I met a woman who was coming for her first class. And she ended up being my duet partner for 10 years, Michelle Zonka, who's still a very, very dear friend of mine today. Uh, she no longer dances, but she's a fantastic friend. And um, the rest is sort of history. I decided to stay on in San Francisco, and I studied seriously like six days a week there for years, eight, nine years, and then went to um, Calcutta and lived in his parents' home for two years and did my master's degree. So that was sort of how it found me and I found it and it became my uh, total way of life, total obsession, total passion. Everything took a back seat. Wow. So I guess my next question is, Joanna, this is interesting because um, what you talked about is you found Kathak and you want to do it immediately and you said that what you, what you mentioned is the happiest it's been in a while. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is that you came from a figure skating and piano background. Yeah. Usually when people say that, it's usually when they discover something for the first time, like a new thing, like the first time they have a structured hobby or something that they are intensely passionate about. It seems like you've done, uh, so you've already had something like piano or figure skating, which time, takes time to learn, which has a physicality, which requires discipline. So yes. you were kind of getting getting those things from 
figure skating and classical piano yes. but why do you think or what is it about kathak you felt added more because it kathak inherently gives you discipline it gives you structure it gives you skills to learn but yeah. what was it about yeah. kathak well they the classical disciplines of piano and and mm-hmm. even playing guitar and all of that and singing in choirs i also sang in in small choirs um of course it gives you discipline and it's great fun mm-hmm. um a little bit of the training in that background was my parents I, I asked to start studying piano when i was five and my parents said that i could study but as soon as they had to tell me to practice the lessons were going to stop and my parents mm-hmm. were they they stuck by their words so i knew if they if they said that they meant it so i kept practicing so that they wouldn't tell mm-hmm. me i had to stop but what kapak hads has and what spoke to me was i think because the first performance i saw was with live musicians Mm -hmm. and a small ensemble um, and rather informal outside dancers two musicians Mm -hmm. i could it and i had had experience playing um in groups like playing guitar and i played jazz guitar so playing playing guitar in small groups that whole interactive communication mm-hmm. between musicians and dancers thrilled me the okay. fact that it was so rhythmic and mm-hmm. so physical um and so uh emotional dramatic mm-hmm. all of those things really 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 uh turned me on that they had everything i wanted i, I love the drama i love the physicality i love rhythm i love melody so it had it all okay so you mentioned rhythm physical emotional drama so let's talk about the physicality of it because mm-hmm. especially like i'm uh, very interested because you can you have a figure skating background which is yeah. fairly physical and demanding on the body as well uh-huh. in what ways did you find the physicality of kathak different and challenging for you when you started well you know each and every day it was learning a whole new methodology in the body uh, for one thing mm-hmm. not working in opposition balancing right and left but going right and right and left and left mm. and all of that was quite quite a different way of moving the body i'm left-handed pramit so, so for me oh are you yeah <laughs> so so um you know everything that was kind of the opposite felt more natural to me to sort of develop my to develop my right side more okay. was really interesting because my left side was dominant right like i wanted to turn the opposing way so i wanted what, to turn clockwise so does it mean was it easier for you to like develop your chakra in the opposite sense oh it would have been it would have been okay. had i known now had mm-hmm. i known then what i know now yeah. i would have maintained a double practice that way okay. i mean part part of my training was that we turned in both directions but it was definitely um counterclockwise strong like all kathak is right but if i'd known mm-hmm. i could have i could have been as versatile in both directions if i'd maintained that practice so janati at this note i guess good quick segue so would you say like for beginner kathakers or people getting in, into nowadays as they're practicing chakras or something is it always better like if they're practicing one chakra this way one chakra that way and maintain a symmetry that way what would you recommend for them Uh I would say if they have time to do serious practice and they're not on a time clock which is very rare these days then um they could at least do it 2 to 1 a ratio of 2 to 
Okay. Like two with the counterclockwise, because that's of course the, the mm. dominant um, technique that you need to develop. Okay. But also the other way would be really, really great too. For me, it was more natural. So had mm. I developed that natural tendency, mm -hmm. um, it would have been good. Okay. I think, but I, I didn't. So I still do turn in two different directions, but I'm not nearly as versatile in the mm. clockwise turn as the counterclockwise. Understood. And so you talked about, so when it came to physicality, the physicality of Kathak and the things that uh, you like about it, you talked about uh, the left and the right and balancing that. Uh, mm -hmm. were, were there any other, are there any other aspects that you find that appeal to you? Oh, that's oh, oh, definitely. Like, I mean, I was a long distance runner too on the physical side of my, um, my mm. younger life. Um, so I really enjoyed the whole idea of, of stamina, mm -hmm. but you know, Pramit, what it really was for me was the exhilaration of the entirety of it. Like in our classes, mm -hmm. which I do realize now is quite rare in terms of how people study, mm -hmm. we always sang. We always recited bowls while we danced. Right. So you develop this incredible cardiovascular and that raises the energy, right? Like what you, what I came to realize for myself is mm. the whole recitation of bowls actually informs my emotional physicality. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how I hear myself and how my voice resonates in my body while I'm dancing ultimately informs my physicality and my emotional state when I'm dancing. So it's the entire, right from the very beginning of um, the body dancing on the earth for reunion with the divine, whatever you believe that to be, the mm -hmm. divine, however you interpret that, to the stamina required, the interplay of rhythm, the physical technique of different types of footwork and different different uh, um, traditional body vocabulary. It, I just found it and continue to find it astoundingly inspiring. Understood. And um, I think what's really interesting for me is you started off saying that prior to Kathak you had um, uh, figure skating and classical piano background and now I now we learned that you had a jazz you also played the jazz guitar and you were a long distance runner so before we get into more stuff are there are there more hidden talents that we should know about <laughs> or are well, we going to discover them throughout the interview well I don't know if we call them hidden talents but mm. um I guess hidden although, to me. like I'm, I'm five foot I'm five foot one okay I'm very mm -hmm. short mm -hmm. but I was um captain of my basketball team in high school mm -hmm. <laughs> There aren't many five foot one basketball players, but so I, I kind of always liked physical things. Um, right. And I liked being on teams. So I love group choreography. Like I like, mm. I like being part of, of um, a community and things right. happening. So that all worked well, but no, there's no more things that I could. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think at this point would be a good time to segue into like, say the time you spent in Kolkata. Cause uh, I, we've had, uh, I've, uh, yeah, but in, in Guruji's training, we've had a lot of people talk about Guruji and we'll get into that as well. But I guess it was with the yours in Kolkata, I would like to talk about his father as well, Prahlad Das Ji and your experience working with him. 
Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, certainly. I mean, it's something that you have to sort of realize is that I'm going to call him Baba. I hope you don't mind. But Baba was 48 years old when India got its independence. Oh, yeah. So he had lived a major portion of his life under British rule. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So his history was that he was um, an actor. Right. And he was a very small man, diminutive man. He was like five foot one and very slight mm -hmm. and very attractive. Mm -hmm. And he had these long curly locks. Even when I met him at 79 years old, he had these long, long curly locks. Mm -hmm. So um, very attractive man. So he, his history was that he was an actor and he was involved in a lot of anti, he was an activist and mm -hmm. he was involved in a lot of anti-British dance dramas and dramas and so he was wanted by the british as oh. part of this troupe that was doing uh subversive um public performances so he mm. escaped to burma oh and yeah he escaped to burma and uh stayed and that's where he discovered burmese dance and where he really started studying kind of dance solidly um, it's unclear how, but he came back into India and went into South and studied Bharatanatyam oh. in the South and also connected with really, um, important gurus in those traditions well, on his way. So, and then he made his way back up and he went into Manipur hmm. and studied Manipuri. Okay. And then came back into Kolkata. Right. So he and, um, my guru's mum. Nilima, Srimati Nilima Das, mm -hmm. she studied Manipuri with him and that's how they met. Oh. She studied Manipuri dance with him. I see. Yeah. So then they started um, a school in 1947, hmm. right? The first school after independence, 1948 actually, right. and it was the first school. And what they did was a really in interesting um, uh way of doing it was they brought great gurus from all the areas to teach in there and be housed in their school. So they had the Palai family that came and taught Bharatanatyam. They had the mm -hmm. Gobind Singh family that came from Manipur and taught Manipuri. And then my daughter, daughter's, my daughter G's guru, um, Pandit Ramnarayan Misra became the Kathak guru in the school. So although Baba had all this experience and he did do some teaching for sure, he was also studying simultaneously and they had mm -hmm. great gurus that actually taught the, um, taught the dances in the, in, in their school. Nritya Bharati was their mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. So, uh, really interesting pair, like interesting model. That's the word I wanted was a, a model of how to teach. And they, they were a huge school at one point in time. And they also had a house, uh, just, they rented it. They didn't own it, but a large house. And there was an amphitheater in the courtyard. So they did outdoor dance recitals right in their home. Ooh, and they weird. also presented artists, musicians, and dancers. Um, in this little amphitheater in their home. So even in the seventies, there was um, uh, 
it's no longer around, but sort of like Lonely Planet. There was a series of books called Fodors, F-O-D-O-R-S, Fodors Planet. Like they were travel books from around the world. Okay. And Fodors, I think in 1971, listed Nritya Bharati as one of the main places to go in Calcutta to see classical music and, and dance performances. Mm. And it was their school and their home. So, you know, they were very renowned. Um, and my guru, Dadaji, grew up in that environment, right, with with all these great artists coming to the house and all of this. So I met them in sort of the sunset of their lives. Like, mm -hmm. as I said, Baba was 79. Mm -hmm. He turned he turned 80 uh, in January, I think January or February. I can't quite remember his birthday, to be honest with you, but it was around that time. And um, um, so but still very illustrious people still dropped by the house unannounced the, the doorbell would ring and in they'd mm -hmm. come mm -hmm. and so his real specialty he became a real dance scholar hmm. and he okay. was a major examiner um for many uh for bharatanatyam uh kathak manipuri and odissi he was mm -hmm. a, an examiner for those four types of classical dance so he became my theory mentor mm -hmm. and my sort of history and mm. contextual mentor like i got as i mentioned to you i studied six days a week for eight nine years in calcutta in mm -hmm. california right so i had a a pretty serious baseline plus my guru was such a uh his de his his demand level was high you know, mm. put it that way. Right. Um, so he required a lot of you to maintain being in the class. So mm. I had a good, solid, practical background. Right. So Baba sort of augmented all that with a lot of theory. And he was very, very serious. We did, we did two or three hours every night. He gave me homework. I mean, I was living with him in the apartment, in so the flat. Uh, question about this. So this is two hours every night after you've done an entire day's worth of Kathak practice as well? Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. And I studied Sarangi too. Okay, wait. So uh, I guess uh, if you want to back up a bit, what would your day look like in terms of when you wake, woke up, when you did your Sarangi, when you did your dad? And yeah, okay. tell us a little bit about that. Then. I'll tell you exactly about that. Mm. So even at the time, mm -hmm. I was well aware that I was being given a huge gift of time. Mm -hmm. Right? Because mm -hmm. I'd been living in the United States. Okay, I was mar I married my guru's younger brother, Ritesh, mm -hmm. right? right? So Ritesh and I were married. We mm -hmm. were living in the US. Mm -hmm. We decided that we were no longer gonna live in the US. Mm -hmm. So we went to, he went to India before me. I joined him there mm -hmm. in September of 1985. Okay. My day looked like this. I woke up at 5.30. Mm-hmm. I made myself a cup of coffee in the kitchen. Okay. I went into the dance room. I practiced from about 6.30 to 9.30. Mm -hmm. I had a shower and breakfast. I went in and I practiced sarangi from uh, around 11 to 2. Okay. I had lunch. I had a little nap. Mm -hmm. I got up at, I practiced dance from four to six. I practiced sarangi from six to eight. I had dinner at mm -hmm. nine, watched Durdashan till it closed at 10, mm -hmm. and then went to bed. 
for right. six months, Pramit, I didn't even leave the flat. So the theory classes, did they come at after 10 then or? Oh, uh, four to eight. Yes, they would come for, they would come actually till 10. Okay, gotcha. I, gotcha. For, I, I left, uh, sorry, the theory class. Yeah, so I do, I do dance from four to six, Sarangi mm -hmm. from, from six to maybe, maybe 7.30 and then theory from 7.30 to 9.30. And then we'd have dinner and watch Doordashan. That was the way it went. I didn't watch Doordashan separately. We watched it while we ate dinner. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And oh. then I did my, so I'd do my homework in and amongst there too, right? And mm. then he'd check, he, I had to give him my homework previous to our evening sessions. Right. Because, you know, Baba still at the age of 82 was teaching mm. five days a week in outdoor institutions as well. Oh. So he often didn't even get home until eight o'clock at night hmm. okay and uh, yeah coming back to what you said you for six months you didn't leave the house no did you uh, would, uh, what, would the plot and you know the end result is of, of, of course joyous the knowledge you get and the memories you have but the process of it i mean it's a, it's a bit arduous but did you enjoy the pro is that something you enjoyed or you were kind of going through I, it just because i I, I, I set up the process so right I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nobody told me I had to practice mm -hmm. twice a day these things. Nobody right. told me I had to study sarangi. Nobody mm. told me anything. Nobody told me I had to practice. Hmm. I it see. Was, it was my choice. And my, um, my regime, even in California, my regime was uh, um, Michelle Zonka, my duet buddy for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, she and I had a regime where we went to the studio every morning at six o'clock and danced mm -hmm. from six to eight before we had to go to work. Oh. And we did it for years. So I had a serious practice regime embedded in my life in California as well. This was nothing different. The only thing different was that all my buddy, none of my buddies were around and I had really nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I upped the ante on my practice and study but it was all self-motivated so nobody told told me i had to do anything for me understood and we're talking about practice and the importance of practice so mm. that whole thing that where you were doing six to eight practice and the amount of practice you did in calcutta mm -hmm. did you mm -hmm. already have a discipline regimen coming in from your previous experiences doing piano and figure skating or you just picked that up during kathak how did that work? oh no i picked it up during kathak because um, I loved it so much and the demand was so high. Hmm. Like Dada would often clear, like you have to understand there were like 19 people in my class, okay? Mm -hmm. So that class that I initially saw dancing, a year down the road, I ended up in that class. A year? Wow, okay. A year? After, after doing two classes a week in San Francisco, and then an additional class. So I, I went from two classes. I started at two classes a week. I moved to three classes a week. I did that for a year. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, he let me join the Marin class over the Golden Gate Bridge. And I moved there. I left the city and moved there and moved in with a, one of the dancers there. So, but you know, you have to understand that in the middle of a class, he would clear the floor and call people out one at a time. Oh and get them to demonstrate something which you didn't know what it was. Hmm. You had to be on your toes. Also, it could be anything he taught from the repertoire. Anything, just... and you had to be on your toes. Oh. It was terrifying, actually. 
I see. Huh. It was terrifying because he always demanded beyond what you thought was your highest common denominator of yourself. Hmm. Right? I see. And, and you have to understand also, like, he died at 70 years old. Right. I started studying with him when he was 36. Mm -hmm. So he was in full power, as they say, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so generally that, uh, I guess so many ways to go from here, but let's start with a little bit on practice because mm -hmm. uh, recently I've been thinking about the whole years of experience thing. And I used to think it didn't apply to Kathak, but turns, I've slowly realized that it is that just because someone that the, the, just because someone is 10 years into Kathak, it's not, doesn't mean they might be better than someone who was two or three years into Kathak because the because the hours you put in and the and the how deep those years were are arguably better uh, is more informed. So I guess wanted to get your insights on this as well. Like, how have you seen different skill levels across ages in your experience in Kathak? And how? Yeah, I guess just that. Well, um, I would agree with you fully. By the way, if the years, what the years do is if you stick with the regime that you've, oh, well, I'll come to that in a minute. Okay, the mm. practice hours, 150,000 times more important than the mm. years you put in, okay? I'll, pref I'll, I'll add to that later, but um, it's all around the depth of study and the depth of focus and the passion and the like discipline to me um, if it's a grind, uh, you might as well pack it in as far as I'm concerned. If, mm. if, re if regular practice is a grind to you, then you're in the wrong field. Okay. Discipline comes from when you don't really feel that you have the strength or ability to do it in that moment and you override it. But I'm just speaking from my own experience. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. um, it's 90 to 10, the mm. amount of joy to discipline that I have had to exhibit to do my practice. I don't find practice a grind at all. And was this like from year one? Or... Yeah, hmm. this was from moment one, class one. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like quite honestly, even when I was in Marin County and going five mornings a week for three hours from 10 until one, mm -hmm. five days a week, mm -hmm. then two nights a week, I went back in the evenings to Marin studio. One night a week, I went to San Francisco for a class. Mm -hmm. And then all day Saturday, Michelle, Zonka, Noel and I went with my guru mm -hmm. from 830 in the morning till 5 30 at night he didn't drive so we drove hmm. and we went over to the east bay and we'd go to san francisco for two classes then go over the bay bridge to berkeley and then to fremont not fremont but um another place that he taught in at the time pre-fremont and then back to the city so we'd get home at 5 30. Hmm. so i was getting hours i was getting hours hmm. together every day so um, that kind of regime becomes your real way of life. And it was the most important thing to me. So when, the, when I 
when I had to, when I had to go to work, um, there were days where I'd practice six to eight with Michelle, mm -hmm. have class, and then I worked in the afternoons. And I did, I did things like I cleaned house. Like I didn't have a, I, I quit university. I didn't have a profession in those days. Not that many of us did. So I wasn't any professional worker that had to maintain a career. And if something got in the way of my dance class, I quit my job. <laughs> but it was at a different time, Pramit. Like mm -hmm. the, you could do that sort of thing. You needed very little money to survive. Mm -hmm. um, and jobs were quite easy to come by. Okay, I yes. see. So, so for me, my dance practice was my main thrust and the classes were definitely my main focus in my life. Okay. And I was very fortunate to be at that point in time. Like if I'd started studying in the 90s, mm -hmm. I would never have been able to do that because those times had come and gone. Hmm. Yes, I think, uh, which, which is interesting, I think throughout people's lives, there are opportunities that come and you some you know it's a big thing you usually know when something big arrives at your lap and you know you have to take it you have to take it yeah you're gonna jump in at it yeah and since we're talking about california and we're on that theme now would be a good time to discuss like when you were in california i lived with other like-minded people so we would share houses and i wouldn't need very much money mm -hmm. to live and my guru was very generous that way he knew i didn't have status and maybe as an immigrant himself he had a soft spot for that mm -hmm. but he didn't charge me for classes mm. after the first six or eight months oh wow i did i you know i would do i would do work like if yeah. there were concerts or whatever i'd go early and set up the dressing room mm. or, or whatever i could do to sort of you know show my appreciation and i also felt like my appreciation was to make sure that i continued to work hard on what he was giving me mm -hmm. like take it to heart and show it respect and show it love and show it um dedication yeah so yeah so i i worked under the table i um cleaned houses mm -hmm. <laughs> i um worked in a coffee shop mm -hmm. and ultimately i worked in a, a great one of my guru sisters got me a job mm -hmm. uh working in a hotel a, a victorian bed and breakfast in sausalito okay which which was my favorite job and the my lo most long-standing job i did that for about four years i think my last four years in california okay. and i loved it because i got to wear victorian outfits and um we would clean the rooms but we also took all the reservations and welcomed the guests so okay. it was kind of using all my dance training you know we had to be very uh like public speaking like welcoming people in it was physical we did all the cleaning and i loved it it was really great and the environment was absolutely gorgeous it was a an 11 room a, actually a 13 room hotel um very small all antiques victorian antiques it was really really fun so yes i was under the radar with um out much need for much money but um 
It was good. And Ritesh had status. He had proper status in the States mm. to work. So he worked as, as tabla, but also uh, photography. He developed his skill as a photographer mm. at that time. But let me just finish one thing in terms of talking about the hours of practice as opposed to the years mm -hmm. or along with the years. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you look at your life, you know, you are not the same person. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you, Pramit? I am 29. 29. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're at a real crossroads. 29 is an, 28, 29 is an important time. Um. Not a crossroads necessarily, but um, but who you are at 29 is definitely not who you will be at 59, mm. right? If the 29-year-old Pramit continues Kathak, how you relate to Kathak at 59 will be informed by your continued practice mm -hmm. and your progression through your life and who you become as a human through right. all the experiences you gather in your life. Mm -hmm. And that informs not only your relationship to Kathak, but it informs your approach. It informs how you feel about it. It informs everything. So they go in tandem in that, you know, I certainly don't maintain the practice regime that I did as a student. I can't possibly because I, I teach five days a week. I've, I've taught seven days a week for years at times. So to, to maintain all of that, hmm. something has to give, but by staying involved and staying on the dance floor and staying consistent, you can, um, and, and building up a big arsenal of practice hours under you, you know, like I, for 15 years, I practiced every day, even if I was sick. I got on the dance floor. Hmm. I, I didn't miss a day. Like Christmas, New Year's, uh, Thanksgiving, all that. I did a practice. Hmm. Okay. It may have been short. Yeah. May have been 45 minutes, but I got on the floor. Wait, you said, it's funny, you said short and 45 minutes in the same sentence. So like, because for, <laughs> for me, 45 minutes would be like the biggest, like a huge session for me. So like, well, good. Yeah. No, uh, not for me. Huge session for me would be a couple of hours. So what if like you went on vacation or something? Did you just find 45 minutes in the morning or something to get that out of the way? Absolutely. Okay. And by out of the way, um, we'll also... Uh, I guess I would say out of the way. You yeah, yeah. Minutes. No, no, no. It, it is out of the way because you want to have a free day, right? It is out of the way that way. But it's the important thing that found, was the foundation for me to mm. move forward and feel at ease with the rest of the day because I'd done my work that right. was important to me. And I discovered that mm -hmm. by having a job in the coffee shop very mm -hmm. early on because I would be irritated there if mm. I was working and not having done my job, which is why Michelle and I started practicing at six in the morning. We'd do just six to maybe 7.15, something like that, 7.30. But then I felt like I'd done what was important to me and I could go to work and be a much better employee because I was happier because I'd already done what was important to me or a portion of what was important to me. I would go back to class in the evenings on those days, but yeah. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's the, that's what I just would want to say about, about that. And, um, 
and just about how the relationship to the dance funny you know Pramit it actually becomes something you carry around deep inside as your identity like I wouldn't say I wander around and I'm yes I'm a Kathak dancer yes I'm a Kathak dancer but you know it it becomes your identity and now I am able to look at the fact that I am I'm almost 66 so and I'm still very I'm fortunate that I'm still very physical and physically active, but I'm not the dancer I was at 46. I'm not the dancer I was at 56. So now I'm looking at how do I want my next 20 years to look? How do I really move into becoming the mentor? How do I really move into becoming the passer of the torch? So slowly, slowly, I'm bringing, like I did all the teaching in my school for decades. Mm. Okay. I haven't had a big staff of teachers. I still don't, but I have three others and mm. me. And that's yeah. huge for me. Mm. That's huge for me. I've never wanted to have a huge empire of a school, mm. but I have had large schools. Like I, I have over right now, I see online, I see 85 students a week. A week? Yeah, oh, okay. which is a lot. Oh, okay, yeah. Keeps me busy. For sure. And the prep time I have to do online is much more than I have to do live. Hmm. So it keeps me busy, but I'm looking at not maintaining this to this level myself, personally hmm. and physically. And what do I do? What can I add to help? empower others so this is what i mean by the years going on right it's different like if you talked to me when i was 20 i was like yeah going hmm. career solo company school you know and and it just it just shifts over the years right hmm. as you become older different things take a priority different things altogether become more interesting like i love my vegetable garden <laughs> Mm. And I want to spend time in my flower garden, in my vegetable garden, in my backyard, you know? Gotcha. And just like that, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, as you say this, I've realized, I realized that to, uh, to actually understand everything that I want to from you, this, this podcast would have to be like three hours long. <laughs> we don't have that luxury. So at no, this no. point... I guess it would be a good time to start talking about your dance practice and Arando and Mdo. Um, mm. Yeah, I guess starting with like your academy and, and your organization, could you tell us a little bit about that and we'll get into the rest of it from yes, there on. Yes, sure, sure. Well, I realized pretty early on when mm -hmm. I came, I, so I went, I was in India for two years mm -hmm. and I did my, my bachelor's and master's degree within that two year period. Right. Um, they, uh, then I came, we came back to Toronto. Okay. Which is where I'm from. I'm from this area, mm -hmm. but I hadn't lived here in eons. I hadn't, mm -hmm. I, I left to go to university in Northern Ontario mm -hmm. in 1976. I can't even remember. I just mm -hmm. went for one year and I was studying forestry up in Northern Ontario, Bachelor of Science in Forestry, which I ended up dropping out of because they were going to make me a um, an executive for a forestry company, which was not my interest. Mm. So, and then I ended up going out West 
because I had childhood friends who had moved there from Ontario to the British Columbia. Mm -hmm. Then I ended up going to California uh, to see friends. And that's where the dance found me. So hmm. I hadn't, and then I went to India for two years from there. So right. I had not lived in in Canada for from 76 to 80, like 11, 12 years. Hmm. We came back in 87 from India. Hmm. So uh, the end of 87. So um, uh, I wasn't trained in anything except Kathak actually. Right. So I managed, I had a, a childhood friend who worked at the University of Toronto and I went to meet in the athletics department and I went to meet her one day for lunch and they had this placard up with um, all these different um, enrichment programs that they offered through the uh, athletic department. Like there was flamenco dance, there were aerobics, there was, you know, all kinds of things. So I thought, wow, I wonder if I could teach Kapak here. So anyway, I put together a little proposal. My friend said, yeah, you should see if they want it, they might want it. So ultimately, long story short, I got a job at U of T, University mm -hmm. of Toronto, in their life strides department. That was my first job. Okay. On a Friday afternoon, teaching a one and a half hour Kapak dance class. Okay. And they allowed Ritesh to come as my accompanist. Mm. So it was with live tabla right off the get go, which was great. So nobody knew what Kapak was. So mm. they had me do um, a free performance mm -hmm. uh, on an evening at U of T in the Benson in the dance studio. And as it turned out, it was a huge snowstorm that day. So we went in early. I think our gig was at seven mm -hmm. and we, we left, we were staying with living with my mother, 60 mm -hmm. kilometers outside of the city. Right. So we drove in at two o'clock in the afternoon to in the midst of this snowstorm and we thought nobody's going to come. Mm -hmm. But of course that was our naivety because we didn't realize that 90% of the people that live in the city actually walk. Right. So 60 people came. Okay. So we had this great lecture demo mm -hmm. and 25 people signed up for the class. From 60 people? 20. Well, I don't know if it was the same 60 from the same 60 people, but that's, 20, that's impressive. 25, I was totally impressed. 25 people signed up. So I had a class of 25 people and we went from January is when I started January till April when the university ended. Did you want to ask a question? Yeah. How did you know? Uh, Cause you went like <laughs> this. It just looked like you wanted to ask me something. Yes. Cause I guess my question here is, uh, Joanna, I guess you're in Toronto, 87, Kathak probably not that well known. You're giving your first lecture demo. Yeah. Did you feel like a pressure of representing this art form in your own hometown? What was that like for you? Um, I was excited. Interesting. Because I wanted to share it. Like, you know, I, I was quite used to presenting because mm. with my with my guru, like I said, even like clearing the room and calling you out one at a time. Yeah. If you can manage to manifest something of interest in that crowd okay. than a regular crowd. And, and you know, the other thing that I, I realized, although I hadn't had stage experience, I love being on stage. Hmm. I okay. hadn't, I had never had, I'd never been in a drama club or anything like that. Right. But I realized that I love performing. And uh, on that note, I guess performing would be interesting because like say performing during the seventies and eighties, 
and that period of time you know we talk about how kathak may not have that much recognition in this era but it's a diff- totally different time when we talk about the the reach and popularity of it in in say the, the in north america mm-hmm. so when you were performing there when you know it was like i arguably like people kathak was not that well known did that play into how you were performing or your mindset or when you were going on stage oh for certain for mm. certain you do a, like a, a um you know even when i performed for indian organizations mm-hmm. i would basically kind of have the same format mm. where you know i would come out with live tabla and on, then a friend who plays some sitar he was he was competent for nagma he would come out and keep play nagma he would never play a song or anything like that he didn't have okay. that capability but that was okay um so i would come out and do an introduction and and dance a bit and then go to the mic and talk a little bit about how the spoken language works mm. like introduce the idea of footwork bowls and body movement bowls and how they could come together and then then move it to how that can communicate with tabla bowls and then we do a composition together um showing lines like that so um and when doing a story the way i was brought up if i did do a story the way i was brought up in the form was that you would always introduce it first and show the different gestures of the characters so that once they saw the story they'd know who they were looking at mm-hmm. and you do it really brief like i'm not talking like a lecture i'm talking like a minute and a half oh yeah like short intro of the story mm-hmm. and ritesh would always you know like augment on the tableau what the character was like you know if say like indra he go like you know and god of thunder and lightning like this kind of thing right so it was uh it was that way um and i always really really loved it so uh so you just to, so we don't lose train of thought here so you mm-hmm. asked me about how i got started um so at u of t i had these 25 people mm-hmm. when april came they had an evening of dance okay right. where we all all the different programs it was amateur because all the different programs that were just taking extracurricular you know flamenco or whatever we would we were showcased in an evening of dance hmm. performance at at a u of t small u of t theater right and it it highlighted the program so i did a i did a performance where all 25 of my students performed right like a, a neat thing from Pramit, one of the students that took the class and honestly she wasn't very good but it was still wonderful she was a nun and she was on sabbatical for a year studying at U of T and she she was actually a catholic nun hmm. so i gave her the part of coming in with a plate with incense and hmm. a fire and she did the putting offering of the plate touching the floor and doing a very short welcoming. Hmm. I thought it was perfect for her cuz she actually did, was older, she was probably in her 50s and she didn't have a great deal of prowess with rhythm and things, so okay. it was something that she could do and and it fit perfectly with her personality. But anyway, very 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 simple. Mm. All of the students performed. Mm-hmm. And then uh 
at the end of that performance, we had a long talk and I said, would any of you like to continue outside? Mm -hmm. And of those 25, 18 moved out with me and I got a little space in a church close to the university and mm -hmm. rented it. And that's how I started teaching. And then I went to some of the outlying areas, the suburbs like Scarborough and and that's how I ultimately ended up seven days a week because I was serving, like if Toronto's right here, yeah. I was serving the suburbs to the east and the suburbs to the north and the west. Hmm. And so I would go to one community every day. Understood. And Janati, this might be a tough question to answer because I'm asking you to talk about yourself here. But so what uh, one thing I found very interesting is that uh, from the lecture demonstration, you said 60 people on the show, 25 there, 25 to 18. It seemed like people are, when you were doing Katha, people were really drawn to you from the get-go. Part of mm -hmm. it is that part of it is, of course, the training and pedigree you get, you get from your gurus, but a lot of it is on who you are as a Kathaka. Mm -hmm. So what is uh, like looking back or even looking at now when you talk, when you see people drawn to you and your Kathak, what are the things, what are the things about your personality or Kathak that you feel people are, are, are attracted to? Well, some of the feedback that I've gotten is, mm -hmm. I think what emanates uh, is joy. Hmm. And, and it doesn't mean that you can't be serious or dramatic. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively dramatic. Hmm. <laughs> and, um, but I really love, um, I love bringing people in to the world of the form. Right. And uh, I've also become very interested over the last 20 years, 30 years actually, of um, creating contemporary works. Hmm. But um, the, the base and what I teach is always the classical foundation. Hmm. And I think it's because I um i do have a sort of a natural uh personality that can draw people in mm -hmm. and like i said i discovered i loved being on stage i mm. didn't know that mm. but i kind of lit up okay it's just I, i'm not afraid to go on stage i never mm. have been it's not that i don't feel nervous i feel very nervous but i'm not nervous to go on stage i'm just nervous that um, the stage itself doesn't doesn't scare me. Hmm. Rising to the occasion and wanting to do a good job makes me a little nervous. And you need I personally I need nerves. Otherwise, I my performance would feel very flat. Okay. I see. And um, so you talked about you have a personality that draws you and you perform well. And coming to the teaching side of things, um, you know you were say taught a certain way and you kind of, when you, when you teach others, part of it would come from what you were taught, but uh, what are the ways you feel you've taught differently or you teach differently mm. compared to how you were taught? Okay. Well, one of the things that is similar mm -hmm. is I love to get a flow going. I don't start and stop. Mm -hmm. Often I'll, um, we'll do something over and over again and I'll give some feedback or direction while we're still moving. I really can't stand stopping and starting and stopping and oh. starting. It makes me exhausted. So I just like to keep a flow going. So Not do you like we... questions at the end of the class then? Well, if a question comes up, 
I will take it, but generally, yeah, it's at the end. Or if okay. they ask a question, I say, just just wait till we finish mm -hmm. this, whatever. Okay. But um, uh, where I'm very much different is in my personality. First of all, A, I'm a woman, not mm -hmm. a man. Mm -hmm. And secondly, um, I'm much more nurturing and much, much less fearless because my guru would, uh, I realized he was fearless. Like he, he would push you right to the brink, probably feeling that if you left, you would have ultimately left anyway, and you didn't have what it takes to hmm. uh, maintain a life in this art form and the challenges that it presents to you. Okay. So he was quite fearless that way. Um, I am not that personality. Uh, I'm warm. Not that he wasn't warm, but he could be quite ruthless too. I never get ruthless. Mm. I, it's just not my, it's not the way I want to go. Right. And you know, the thing is that actually, um, I feel against what we, he and I used to have arguments about this actually, mm -hmm. because he said, Kathak is not an extracurricular art form. Mm. And I disagree. Mm. I disagree because I think if you if you want to be a kathaka, then of course it's not extracurricular. Mm. But I think katha can play a very and does play a very valuable role mm -hmm. in enriching people's lives as an addition to all the other things they're doing. I see. It creates. It's first of all, it's physically very healthy for you. Mm -hmm. It's emotionally and spiritually very healthy for you. It creates community, you know, so that you feel that you have a, a place you can go and be with your peeps. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I do honestly feel that if you want to become a serious kapak dancer, you will. Hmm. And I certainly have that opportunity. I have people that come three and four times a week to me now, even online. Oh, I do private classes. Mm -hmm. I give homework online hmm. so that they can submit homework to me and I can see where they're really at. Hmm. And I respond, I watch them and I give them feedback. Nice. So it's a, more work for me, mm -hmm. but, but, um, I, I am much more on the side of rather than creating Kathak dancers, mm -hmm. I'm creating Kathak enthusiasts okay, and Kathak lovers hmm. and Kathak practitioners to a particular way, level. And mm -hmm. I do know, like I have, of course, lots of people in your position. I've got lawyers, I've got scientists, I've got, you know, IT people, all the regular gamut, right? Of right. contemporary work. Right. But this dance form is important to them. Like when I ask them to submit homework, they seriously work at it. Okay. And you don't and have to like sit it. and bug them. They just do it. I don't bug them. Huh. But what I do is uh, if people say, I'm really sorry, I couldn't get to my homework this week. And I, then my response to that is, okay, that's all right. But the homework is for you. It's not for me. Hmm. Whereas okay. I used to get this response. Who practiced? 
in my class, my guru would yeah. say, who practiced? Oh, I didn't, or they'd call you out and they'd go, ah, Hare, why, why are you not doing this? Oh, I didn't get a chance to practice. He'd say, oh, and he'd go just like this. He was so dramatic. He'd okay. go, oh, <laughs> did you forget to eat? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry you couldn't get any sleep. Like, and so, and that's all. Like, then yeah. you just sort of go, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, or he'd say, who practiced? And of course, I'd put my hand up and he'd say, oh, Joanna, don't be ridiculous. You think I don't know if you practiced? <laughs> <laughs> so he'd get you both sides, right? Right. Coming or going. Best thing to, right. to, uh, keep quiet. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't teach like that. Mm -hmm. I do a little bit. I kid around with the kids. Yeah. So. Okay. But you know, I, I, I have good relationships with my students. Got you. There's a few people that I've rubbed the wrong way and have rubbed me the wrong way, but you know, but, it happens. It's very few in the grand scheme of like over the years, my God, I've taught thousands of people over right. the years. And if you didn't rub anyone the wrong way, that would be a bit suspicious because then you would have to like bow down to everyone. Like it's like, if, uh -huh. if you rub a few people the wrong way, you're obviously doing the right thing. Well, right, so it makes it's sense. the way it works out. So you have to sort of yeah. go with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the did you forget to eat is like a common <laughs> teacher thing so like growing up in india in school that's the if you forget to bring a book that's what your teachers will tell you always like did you forget to eat so uh, uh, it's a thing we, we used to hear a lot in class like if you're okay forgot. whereas i never heard that mm. as a kid i never heard it at home i never heard it in school so for me it was really unique yeah. now i know and you're the first person that's actually said that to me mm. that you heard it in school maybe because yes. most of, yeah so oh that's good that's cool so that would have been something yeah. that he he brought with him pretty much like that's kind, yeah. kind of where we pick it up from the other thing we do i think that one's more uh, prevalent is like you say if you go to school and you get caught and you say why did you do it and you said your friend did it because your friend was doing it as well and your teachers would always say if your friend asks you to jump in a well will you jump in the well <laughs> and like those are the questions that get you as a kid because you're like oh, i don't have a smart answer for that or it's yeah. better to not respond at that point yes exactly uh, and I think at this point, it would be a good time to talk about, you talked about developing contemporary pieces with the foundation in Kathak. Will you tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing in that respect? Mm -hmm. So that's my real contemporary sort of, well, first of all, it's really funny because even when I have done, and I'll be honest with you, I don't do, mm. um, I don't do really uh, classical Kathak concerts in, anymore. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to stop dancing out. Hmm. because um i don't want to i don't want to be lesser than right so hmm. um i'm i'm stopping dancing out in public um hmm. so much now but okay. the odd thing but i haven't had hmm. to to worry about that over the last two years it's been all <laughs> online um but um in 1991 uh people in toronto started fida FIDA or FIDA, mm -hmm. which is the Fringe Festival of Independent Dance Artists. And it was a festival where uh, you applied and it was a lottery. It started off as a lottery and you had to submit a proposal. And what you would do, there were it was an hour and a half show with three acts. So you got a half an hour each for setup, tear down and performance. 
and you did three shows in the five-day festival. In terms of payment, the audience, which was very small, it was just bleacher seats, 125 seats, mm -hmm. and I think it was five bucks okay. a ticket. Hmm. Those, the, the take at the, the gate from the front of, front of house, the ticket sales, would be split three ways between the three artists. Okay. Okay. So, um, 125 times five divided by three. It wasn't a huge money maker. Okay. Okay. But, but the organizers didn't take a cut or anything. They just no. They got, they had funding for it. Okay. Nice. Okay. okay. So one of my students told mm -hmm. me about this festival, and it was um it was established by two contemporary dancers, mm -hmm. Michael Menigan and Alan Kaja, now of whom both are very dear friends of mine. Mm -hmm. But um so one thing that I had been interested in was um a comparison between the Hindu idea of cyclical life okay. and the indigenous medicine wheel. Okay. The native Canadian medicine wheel. And when I came home, I felt like I wanted to do a story of this land. Hmm. So with some, some, um, Difficulty, a little bit of difficulty, just because look at me, I'm a white girl. I claim to be a North Indian classical dancer, and now I want to tell an indigenous story. Mm -hmm, it took mm -hmm. me a while to find like-minded indigenous people that would work with me. Right. But I did. Mm -hmm. I did. And um, so I put together my first creative work I called Medicine Wheel. Mm-hmm contemporary work mm -hmm. and I told a Cree creation story mm -hmm. in Kapak style and then used the elements of the medicine wheel that were mm -hmm. given to me by some in indigenous elders and actually even the story you know how I told you I always learn stories where we did the little synopsis at the beginning with the characters mm -hmm. well I did that and there is a there was text on this creation story and I found a fabulous woman Madeleine Bergeron who's Cree in, um, indigenous from Saskatchewan the Prairie provinces mm -hmm. and she was an actor here in Toronto so I had her record the synopsis in English okay. right mm. but just the way they phrase English is very different than the way we would Hmm. So she, I didn't actually t quote unquote tell their stories. An indigenous told her story, an indigenous right. woman, and it was record. All oh, the whole thing was recorded, and then um, I did the synopsis of the characters, mm -hmm. and then the music came, and it was in Rupak, hmm. which is again another interesting twist. Uh, I did it in Rupak with a whole gut, Rupak gut that I got from a, a wonderful Sarangi player here in town. Okay. And um, I told the story in pure Kapak style. Hmm. And then did other elements of it, like the the wind, the element of the wind. Mm -hmm. I turned that into a tarana with right. a group. Just like that. So, and fire. So it was using the elements, fire, earth, wind, and then this creation story. And that was my half hour set. Hmm. And I brought in 
eight people to dance the Tarana. Okay. And the rest I did solo. Okay. And okay. And then the next year I created a piece called Ancient Futures mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Japanese taiko drummers. Okay. So that had a whole set of taiko drums, huge taiko drums, mm -hmm. and some tabla came in later. And I created a, a half hour set with that. And that wow. was very successful. I got lots of gigs out of that. I see. We performed that in many different places over the next two years. Hmm. And then I just sort of have done collaborations with um, a flamenco dancer. So that was some traditional work, of course, but a really contemporary mm -hmm. tilt on that. And okay. then the piece that we did in India, that we toured in India, mm -hmm. Bardo, mm -hmm. we called it Bardo, and that shows the liminal spaces between, uh, it's it's part of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Okay. The Bardo levels are the liminal spaces between death and rebirth. Okay. We use them also as the liminal, liminal spaces between cultures, Western and Eastern, and the uh, liminal, yeah, go ahead. Joanne, there's, there's a background noise, do you know what that is? Yeah, my husband's phone. Okay, sorry. Okay, he's he's done. Yeah. So what were you saying? Yeah. Um, the liminal spaces between um, the dance forms, Kathak and contemporary, mm -hmm. and the liminal spaces between Eastern and Western culture. Okay. So that was sort of our thrust, but it was it was very contemporary work. We didn't even wear gungru. Okay. And it was wow. all contemporary music. Mm -hmm. Understood. Yeah. So I guess yeah, my, my question was going to be about the reception, but you answered that. Um, so I guess my question here, what I wanted to know is with the contemporary work you've done, as you shifted from say pure classical to contemporary with using Kathak and still doing pure Kathak within contemporary, how has that changed how you think about Kathak and like the community in general? Or well, uh, first of all, as a as the form itself, I I always felt that it could be very very versatile, mm -hmm. and um, so it has made me think basically <laughs> i understand the aesthetic of kathak after mm. all these years and i work with the premise that nothing is wrong mm. if it feels if it feels right to me i go for it okay and there are going to be people that don't like it but hey it's art there's always going to be people that don't like <laughs> it you know so i'm not worried about whether people like what i do or they don't like what i do mm -hmm. um uh, I have enough people in the critical mass that do like what I do. So I get to actually manifest it and exactly. even perform it. So I'm happy. I'm mm. happy. And the community uh, at large working in things such as the Fringe Festival introduced me to a whole different community of dancers here in this city that otherwise mm. I may not have become known to like the same thing for um Tanvir actually like studying mm -hmm. at, at Toronto Dance Theatre that's introduced him to a whole community of people right which right. is so great because many it's less now there's mm -hmm. more interaction between communities now but in the early days you know mostly Indian dancers stayed amongst themselves but so right from the from the top of being back in Canada pretty much I got mm. opportunity of doing this so it was good it's it's um really increased the dance community and there are crossovers happening now all the time hmm. 
okay and uh, with that it be a, uh, so this way uh, with that it'll be like, like coming to my final question it would be a good time to talk about toronto since mm. uh, uh you know you've seen the, the toronto art council pretty you know as an insider you've seen it evolve over the years so based on like from a, from the perspective of how kathak has been viewed in toronto and where it's going how do you feel about the future of kathak in toronto and canada at large where do you think it's going Well quite honestly we also had an amazing festival called the Kalanidhi Fine Arts Festival mm-hmm. which um went from 1991 to 2006 okay every other year mm. and it was spearheaded by Sudha Kandwani who mm-hmm. um is the sister was the sister she's no longer living unfortunately mm-hmm. was the sister of Menaka Thakkar and I don't know if you know that name but Menaka Thakkar is a very well known Bharatanatyam and Odissi dancer here in Toronto she's okay. also very elderly very elderly now mm-hmm. but that put, and they brought they offered opportunities to local artists but they also and local i mean canadian mm-hmm. but they also brought the best of the best of international artists like chandraleka uh aditi mangaldas um nahid sadiqi uh you know all these all these people came with their companies and performed over these years right mm, okay. so toronto and it was a whole conference it was a five day festival and there'd be conferences during the day mm-hmm. like you know with with um all kinds of people would come mm-hmm. and it what it actually did was um allow canada and toronto in particular to uh have a name as creating really unique indian classical dance like we have we have some really interesting practitioners here in toronto not just kathak but different styles and there's there's cross pollination mm. and they're creating really like they're well trained and they're mm-hmm. creating very very um uh ingenious contemporary work so i think the future for kathak in toronto is boundless and i love the young people that have come here and started working by that i mean like tanvir and there's a number of other people um that are are working in toronto but tanvir particularly is doing very wonderful work in contemporary kata crossover and uh i he has a great future i'm really excited by what he has to offer the dance community and i'm super excited by the dance community here in general and there's another um she was trained in bharatanatyam nova bhattacharya who's made a real name for herself with she has nova dance and she's doing very interesting work crossing over and bringing not only cross disciplinary but cross generational work um into her work so yeah very very exciting stuff is happening hmm. i really like what you said about the future of kathak in toronto is boundless that's a great thing over what and i guess with that i'd like to bring this podcast to a close uh, joanna the yeah like i said um, i would have liked this to be over three or four hours i feel like <laughs> there's so many stories that i needed to go over but i wanted to cover everything instead of just being in california for the whole time so thanks a lot for coming to the show there's a lot to that i learned and definitely have to think about what i think about it it makes me reevaluate what i mean by what i think of as practice as well that's my major takeaway from it ha ah, so yeah 
Well, the one last thing that I just wanted to say is part of being an Indian doing my examinations. Is there time? Yeah. Just yeah. One, one last story. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I, so, I don't have, a, I, there's no rush. Okay. So although uh, Baba was my theory master and mentor, mm -hmm. and they had a school that was accredited with the government, he would not let me do my master's or my, my bachelor's or my master's from under the auspices of Nritya Bharati. He made me go to an external school because he didn't want to me to, he didn't want to be accused of nepotism mm. and he didn't want to degrade my degree results because I was in quote unquote the family. So he said to me, you know, I, I registered through another school in, in Calcutta and, and did my exams through them. But he told me to prepare an hour and a half in a tall other than teen tall for my master's exam. Mm. Don't do teen tall, do another tall, prepare an hour and a half physical dance. Okay. So I did, I prepared an hour and a half. I had three live musicians mm -hmm. play with me. And when I got into the examining room, mm -hmm. the examiners, and you know, it's like the typical thing, right? Like judging, like they don't crack a smile. Mm. There's no, there's no va, there's no, you know, kabat, there's like nothing. Achha. There's just like silence and writing, mm. you know, like the comments. So anyway, he said, the, the main examiner said, so Joanna, you've, what have you prepared for today? And I said, I'd, I'd like to dance in Tamar. And he said, okay. And how, how long a time have you prepared? And I said, an hour and a half. He said, okay. So show us what you have in 45 minutes. Mm. Okay. So the question that people ask me are like, oh, did you just speed it up? <laughs> I said, no. What it forced was on the fly, keeping the form of Kapak in its, in its precision and editing on the fly. Mm. Okay. If, if I was going to do three, uh, Farmaishi, Chakradar, Bolparan, now I'll only do one. What am I going to do? And I had to do it all on the fly within the presentation of being a Kataka. Mm. And that was really mind blowing to me. Mm. And then at the end of that, they ended up asking me questions for another two hours. Oh. I actually thought I'd failed because I, I couldn't understand why they kept asking me more and more questions. I thought I had to sort of continue to prove myself. Right. And, and at the end of the examining period, mm -hmm. I held it together for all of the examining period, but nice. they'd give me scenarios and ask me to do Abhinaya like on the fly, right? Oh. Like, like, oh yeah, it was, it was intense, Pramit. I had a complete meltdown at the end. I left the examining room and I was just weeping and the examiner came out and, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, you know, I thought like I failed, like you, why did you keep, he said, failed. No, no, no. We were enjoying, we wanted to see more, but because they don't even crack a smile, I didn't know that. I see. If they'd smiled a bit, I might've thought, okay, this is good. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think it was good. I ended up standing first in the practical all across India. Okay. Um, uh, which is, um, uh, oh wait! Congratulations for that, first of all. Well, I take I attribute it to my training, but thank you. <laughs> you, should attribute, you should attribute it to yourself as well. But uh, I guess the that's a good uh, that's a good thing for me to know as well, because ninety five percent of the time when I do interviews, I'm like this, and I oh, don't okay. smile. 
I don't know oh. if you noticed, but I don't smile. The reason I don't smile is because I'm like trying to focus and learn. A lot of times when I do these interviews, I am learning stuff for the first time. So I'm trying to be like, okay, and then trying to focus. So that's why I don't. So the smiling thing is something that I've always wondered, like whether I should do more in interviews as well. Well, you know what? You've yeah. been very um, engaged. I feel really like you're very engaged with me. And mm -hmm. I want to thank you for doing this, following your passion to do this, because you don't need to do this. This is your, your passion and you're giving us all opportunity. And I think in the future, this is really important to have these kinds of voices heard, mm. you know, because we all have different experience. We all come from a different time. Um, we all, um, yeah, I would, I would just say if I could wrap this up on a, uh, note one day, my, my guru came to me in the classroom at the back of the classroom. And he said, Joanna, you're really studying Kapak. And I said, yes. He goes, no, no, listen to what I'm saying. You're really studying Kapak. He said, as a Kapak dancer, continue your study and always leave your ears and eyes open. Mm -hmm. And that was really fabulous, fabulous advice. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means be aware of your environment. If something inspires you, use it if you can. Mm -hmm. Bring it into your practice if you can. So like for one thing, like with with my contemporary work, I do a lot of floor work, like mm -hmm. on the floor, not just sitting on the floor, but on the floor. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's quite in it. And not so much now, but in its day, it was quite fresh. Mm 